Welcome back to the Jaws Obsession, where we are here to share with you, prove to you, convince you, or remind you that Jaws is the greatest movie of all time. Welcome back. Episode 45, Jaws Timing. So Jaws is a product of being in the right place at the right time. And if Jaws was made at any other point in time, it would not have turned out as the remarkable movie that we all know it to be. And that's what Jaws Timing is is it's a concept that I've always marveled at the uh, the making of Jaws and the details surrounding it and how it molded, the movie was molding itself into what we know it as. I'm going to try to uh, touch on that a little bit. In this episode, I want to first give a couple of examples of Jaws timing from the production of Jaws back in 1974. But then I'm going to lateral that over into the creation of the Book of Quint and the remarkable weekend that I just experienced where I reached a milestone with the Book of Quint um, that was very important moment to uh, myself as well as this overall arc of this, uh, how, how the book came to be. And if you will, I would like to share that with all of you on the second half of this episode where I met with Ian Shaw, the son of Robert Shaw, and I was able to present to him the first book of Quint that is in existence. It was a very special moment and I wanted to um, explain to everyone how, how significant that is to what we all as a Jaws community set out to do here through, over the last 29 months. So, but first, before we get into uh, Jaws timing and we talk about that, I wanted to first announce the winner of the Brody Calendar Contest. The last episode, episode 44, 
we had the uh, Brody calendar contest where we explained about the Jean Clebet bird art tea towel that's hanging in the back that's a calendar on the in the Brody's kitchen. Uh, we did the first ever Jaws Obsession giveaway, and it took from the posting of that episode, it took only four hours. In four hours, we had Robin from Watertown, Massachusetts, rode in with all the species, the six species of bird that are on that uh, tea towel. So Robin rode in chickadee, robin, cardinal, evening grosbeak, bobo link, and blue jay. Correct. Also wrote, love this podcast so much, it makes my day whenever a new episode comes out, and this one was great. So congratulations, Robin, and a Jaws Obsession Quince Shark and Shack care package is on its way to you, courtesy of Quince Shark and Shack at Etsy.com and John Tedder over there. So that was uh, very exciting, and that was extremely quick. So you never know when something's going to come up, and um, I want to thank everyone else who wrote in answers, who participated in the contest. Uh, thank you for listening and for your participation. I had another email here. Mark wrote in, uh, hello, Ryan. I wanted to send you a message on how much I appreciate your efforts in writing the book of Quint and putting together the Jaws Obsession podcast. For many years, there has been a void in the Jaws world that I have attempted to fill with the Steve Alton series of Meg books, which I love, and shark films such as The Shallows. Although these books and films are entertaining, I am still left with an itch that only Jaws can scratch. I am very excited to soon be visiting our favorite fictional fisherman in the town of Amity in the pages of your upcoming book, which I was more than happy to support. I live in England, and I usually get in the mood for Jaws in the summertime when I can read the book on the beach and watch the film around the 4th of July, but your podcast and project have ensured that even on these dark autumn evenings, I am still eager to dig deeper into all aspects of the greatest movie of all time. Uh, the book is looking great from the photo I saw recently in the update, and I can't wait to read and learn more about Quint's backstory. I also enjoyed the audio chapter from a few weeks ago. Thank you so much for taking on this huge task. Hopefully the powers that be We'll see sense, and maybe we will be able to go to the cinema in the summer of 2025 for a new film featuring someone certifiable. Even if this does not happen, you should feel proud that you have produced a significant piece of the jigsaw and contributed to the ongoing legacy of the world of Jaws. Good luck and best wishes, Mark from Colchester, England. Mark, thank you so much for that wonderful email. It came at just the right time. Mark touched on something that, um, that I think that we all have felt when you watch Jaws, is that there is some, there's a void that's left. There's something else going on that you can't quite place it, and it stays with you. It stays with you, with you for the rest of your life. And there are other shark movies, and there are other books, but he talked about that void, and he, he described it as an itch that only Jaws can scratch. That's exactly what I felt going into this whole process. Jaws can never be remade or rebooted or recreated. We have to realize, and I'm going to get into the explaining of the Jaws timing theory, Jaws is a product of the exact time and place that it was made. And you cannot recreate or reboot that. And if you try, it will just fall on its face. So what we are doing, what I, what I thought what should be done to galvanize the fans of Jaws around an idea that if you add more information into the story, you thus can enhance the movie that we all love by finding clues inside that movie and details, then the performances become much greater and much more well-rounded. If you looked at the clues when we talked about episode 43, the Ellen Brody effect, if you 
follow some of the clues inside Jaws, all of a sudden you can extract that performance has more layers to it as you understand who Ellen Brody was and what exactly was going on in the movie in her mindset. And that was episode 43, The Ellen Brody Effect. So that's where the Jaws obsession came about was, can we analyze and get inside this movie and extract information? And in doing so, by extracting information, can we make the movie more enjoyable? Can we see things that we might have missed the first time around or the the hundredth time around? Using those details, that would incorporate a backstory. In the book of Quint, if you had a prequel to Jaws that gives more details, can we thus make Jaws more enjoyable? I think we have done that and we are doing that with every, with every episode of the Jaws Obsession, but, but especially with the Book of Quint. Mark, thank you so much for writing in. Another fan writing in from England. This is great because we are all together on this from around the world. Exciting to see. Everybody else that I've come in contact with uh, during the process of the writing and the editing and the creation of the Book of Quint and even the printing of the Book of Quint, um, the Jaws fans. Everyone's always has a memory about Jaws, and it's to see the smile on their faces when they hear that there's the, that this concept is actually coming into reality. It's a, it's very exciting. It's a very exciting time. So the reason why the Jaws timing is uh, it's not just a theory. It's an actual real. It's an actual re, real effect that happened on the set of Jaws. And I'm going to have two examples here about how if Jaws was made at any other time or place, it might not have turned out the way that we know it to be, the way that the movie that we love. We're going to get into a little bit of the creation of the Book of Quint. I want everyone to understand that there was something that I was experienced was the the Jaws timing was playing right into the creation and the writing of the Book of Quint. It's something that, that I'm going to try to verbalize here in the short time that we have. I wish I could talk for three hours on this because there's so much to go over. First, let's talk about the Jaws timing. A short example of Jaws timing or being in the right place at the right time where something bad might happen, but it turns out better in the long run. That's what Jaws timing is all about. And the first example I have is um, I'm going to read from uh, Joe Alves' Designing Jaws, written by Dennis L. Prince. So Joe Alves was the production designer on Jaws, and one of his tasks was the, the initial location scouting for the production. So in the winter of between 73 and 74, I'm going to read from page 95, Joe Alves' Designing Jaws. Alves set off to first scout the New York locations. So uh, so what happened is, is that he had a list of locations that Peter Benchley used, um, that he had about five or six locations around Long Island and Connecticut, and also from uh, Nantucket when he was writing Jaws about the creation of the fictional town of Amity. What Joe Alves was doing was he was going to each and every one of these locations to see where they would choose to set up shop and actually film Jaws. So Alves set off to first scout the New York locations, and they seemed nice, but just not overly notable. From a design eye, he knew what he was looking for, either already established or easily and affordably amenable to construction. So he continued his search, now traveling by ferry to scout Nantucket Island. An aggressive snowstorm, however, turned the ferry back, and the skipper said, Not today, folks. Upon return to dock, Alves noticed another ferry, apparently unimpeded, bound for a place called Martha's Vineyard. 
Despite Benchley's apparent disinterest in it, Alves boarded that ferry anyway. And that is from uh, designing uh, Joe Alves' Designing Jaws, written by Dennis L. Prince. So what happened is, is that he's looking at all these locations. He's set for Nantucket. A snowstorm comes in, and the ferry captain says, we can't go there. So they head back in, and he gets on one that's going to Martha's Vineyard. He just says, well, I'll go over and check that place. And he hit the island, and he found those locations right away. And um, you can look in this book. They have his notes there when he stumbled upon Menemsha or when he went to Egertown. It had everything that was lined up, and they had there was a bay there that was the perfect height, 30 feet, uh, 30 feet of water depth to hide the mechanism, the shark sled, that was going to hold the mechanical shark. So um, Bob Maddy was, dis- uh, was one of his requirements that they need something that doesn't have uh, very uh, differences in tidal changes and had to have been relatively a shallow body of water. And Martha's Vineyard had all of that. They could film Jaws on the Water and all those boxes were checked. Now, Joe Alves never would have found Martha's Vineyard. He would have went to Nantucket, possibly found adequate locations there, possibly never have went to Martha's Vineyard if it wasn't for that snowstorm at that right place and time that diverted his ferry boat that put them back into port. And then he got on one that went to Martha's Vineyard and the rest is history. So the locations, think about it, the locations in Jaws, how we know Jaws could have been entirely different if it wasn't for that snowstorm at that right place and time the Jaws timing effect. So that's the first example that plays a hundred times over in the making of Jaws, where this movie was making itself. Had Joe Alves just said, well, that's a bummer, and just stayed in the hotel that night and then went back to Nantucket. Instead, he got on that other ferry boat to Martha's Vineyard and the rest is history. So we have to look at, that's just one small example. Let me throw another example at you. The other example is Sterling Hayden's IRS problems. What was the result of Sterling Hayden's IRS problems? So for that, I'm going to read from Carl Gottlieb's The Jaws Log on page 65 here. I'm sorry, on page 64. So they're, so they're casting for the roles for Jaws. And he writes, For Quint, Sterling Hayden was a perfect choice. Brought up on the sea, salt water ran in his veins, and the passing years had eroded his leading man face into a craggy, tough, weathered history of his, of his personal ups and downs. His performance in Dr. Strangelove was a profoundly moving exhibition of the actor's art, and the intervening years had put a pain and character into his personality that was everything he, we wanted Quint to be. So uh, that that's Carl Gottlieb. He was in on when uh, Spielberg and uh, Zanuck and Brown, the two producers, just are trying to cast this movie. And they had Sterling Hayden. My most familiar role with Sterling Hayden wasn't Dr. Strangelove. It was the crooked police officer in The Godfather, the one that Michael Corleone shoots in the throat at the dinner scene. So if uh, everyone remembers Sterling Hayden from there, that's around, that's uh, a little bit around the same time the same time frame in the mid-70s, Sterling Hayden was locked in their minds as he was going to be Quint. He knew his way around the water. He was a, a fisherman. He was a boater. And he had the age and he had the acting quality. But the Jaws timing was not going to allow for this. So let's let's continue on here. Carl Gottlieb continues to write, 
Sterling Hayden was unavailable through no fault of his own. He wanted to do it, so he wanted to be in Jaws. The studio said, okay, Zanuck and Brown and Steven Spielberg agreed, but the U.S. government got in the way. Sterling had a tax problem dating back to a series of unfortunate years and a succession of hostile attorneys and alimony payments. He's been living in Paris on a barge, and although he can earn money in America as a writer through some complicated legal maneuvers, which I don't understand, any income as an actor is subject to liens by the Internal Revenue Service as payment on back taxes. So we had to look elsewhere since Sterling's agent was not about to negotiate a huge price in order to have it all seized. Now, this next part is this is this is how history is made. Fortunately, there was another brilliant actor in the wings, the Englishman Robert Shaw. David Brown suggested so producer David Brown's suggestion and an accomplished talent. He had just played the dangerous antagonist in The Sting and he had the taking of Pelham 123 in the can awaiting release. His distinguished career goes back decades. His hits are all solid gold and he's available for a price. He's in America fish, finishing a limited run on Broadway and has 55 days left on his visa, which is more than enough to do the picture. So the problems uh, were, were, so it was expensively solved and a couple of days away from start, Robert Shaw was set as Quint, the shark killer. Now, if anyone could give the shark some trouble, it would be Robert Shaw. That was written by uh, Carl Gottlieb from the Jaws log. So there you have it. You have Jaws timing. They were going to make the movie one way, that they were going to cast Quint. Sterling Hayden was going to be in there as Quint. If it wasn't for Sterling Hayden's IRS problems and the divorces, and he had money, financial difficulties, they then turned to Zanuck and Brown produced The Sting. And if you go back to, if you go listen to episode, episode 21, The Paul Newman Effect, that uh, Robert Shaw was introduced to the uh, producers, so he played in The Sting. So Richard Zanuck and David Brown then go to make Jaws, and they're having problems with Sterling Hayden, and look who's in New York on a Broadway play with 55 days left on his visa, just enough time. Remember, this is before all the other problems happened on Jaws. There it is. So they were so impressed with Robert Shaw's performance from The Sting, they go, we're going to get him for Quint, and the rest is history. So Jaw's timing comes into play. You have something bad happens, a setback or a roadblock. What results makes for an even better film. So I find that amazing, probably one of the best results from an IRS hassling of an actor ever in cinema is this example. That's how Robert Shaw came to play Quint. That would never have happened if it wasn't for the problems. And that's Jaws timing. And there's so many more examples, but we can't go into all of them. Did I experience the Jaws timing effect through the writing of the Book of Quint in the last 29 months? The process took 28 months, but then there's been another month. This last month has been an intense back and forth with uh, editing and, and with the printers. I wanted to share with you all a little bit of history into the Book of Quint. And in doing so, I hope to show you that this project is something more than I ever realized. I was always a Jaws fan. I would always consider myself, a, I'm a, consider myself a lifelong Jaws fan, but I was never a Jaws fanatic. Okay, I don't have a collection of yellow barrels. I don't have, I don't have 
Um, the, some of the collections I've seen out there are pretty amazing, and I have much respect for people that really have gotten into Jaws, but I was never like that. But what happened was, was in June of 2020, so June of 2020, the country was starting to open up and everyone was kind of coming out of the COVID lockdowns. I experienced a, a moment where I went to, um, I took my family and I met my parents and my sisters, and uh, everyone remembers we went to Cape Cod. So we usually, all growing up, I always, as a family, we always went to Cape Cod for a summer vac- a summer vacation. So this would have been my f- uh, second year. Like, I hadn't been back in a couple years. So we all decided in June of 2020 to go to Cape Cod for a mini vacation. And what happened is, as I'm driving onto, uh, onto the Cape, we're going through Wellfleet, and there's my favorite drive-in of all time, the Wellfleet Drive-In. I grew up there as a kid. Uh, my parents would take me to movies there all through my own entire childhood. I see on the sign, Jaws is playing. So Jaws at the Wellfleet Drive-In. And I just, something happened. I just, it was unbelievable to see my favorite movie in my favorite drive-in. So I said, we got to go. We, we have to go. So I, I wrote the date down, and it was that, it was... Uh, I want to say it was a Wednesday. So we went, we got everybody there. So we went there to go see Jaws. And I looked around as the movie's playing and um, we're sitting there. We have the backs of the, uh, we have the, the back of the, the van or open or the truck is open and they have the little 1950s speakers still. So you can hold them in your lap or hang them on your window. My children were there. It was the first time my wife was actually seeing Jaws. She was born in Ukraine and uh, she never had the opportunity to see Jaws. So we were actually, um, I was watching it. She was watching it for the first time on the screen. It was just the moment I got up, because I know the movie. So I, I got up to walk around with my camera. And I walked around and the entire drive-in was sold out. So you had, uh, I would have to, I'm going to estimate about 500 cars to watch Jaws. So this is 2020. So we're looking at 45 years after Jaws is released. You have all these people watching Jaws and I'm looking around and I'm just, so I didn't really, I wasn't really watching the movie, but I was watching the, the, the people as they're the, the families that were there and everybody's laughing and laughing at the movie and enjoying the movie. And, but what I saw was that there was something special about this movie still that it's going to attract all these people to come together to, to watch this movie and just have a great time. So I wanted to, so there was some, there was like a lot of um, thoughts going through my mind. It's like, why isn't there a better avenue to talk about what is going on here? What makes all these people come together in one time to watch this movie, just this one? What is it about this movie? There's something more here. There's something more going on. And that's when I made the decision the very next day, I uh, told my wife, Tatiana, I said, we, we got to go over to Martha's Vineyard. I've never been there. I've always wanted to go to Martha's Vineyard to see where Jaws was made, but I never actually went over there. I never actually planned a trip and went over there, but this was just on the spur of the moment. We went there. We uh, took a ferry over. I actually rented a car on the island, and I tried to drive around. I did a little bit of an internet investigation to find out where some locations are, some of the major locations. And so we raced around the island. It's in the, it was in June. So we're talking, there's a lot of people that flood that island. So the traffic and everything. So I was able to see 
the Jaws Bridge, certain things. I went to Quince, uh, Menemsha, which was Quince Fishing Town. It was a very special moment. So I came back from uh, uh, Martha's Vineyard, came back from Cape Cod, and over the next two months, in that time, I had I started to have this intense fascination with Jaws more than I've ever had. I would start. I started to have visions and dreams of Robert Shaw, but a younger version of Robert Shaw. There was so many things. I, I was watching Jaws almost every other day, but I was watching all of the Robert Shaw movies that I had, and I was re- basically I was diving right into Jaws in a way that I've never never even looked at it. So I even went on an online auction and I, and I was able to purchase a, a, a Robert Shaw autograph from the Buccaneers. It was an old, um, from his old TV show, The Buccaneers, it's a publicity still that he autographed and it came with a postcard that he wrote on. And so I received that, I framed it and all that. And, and so the, so I guess there's this thing was like, I was just drawn to the character of Quint. I can't say why this was happening. It was just happening. I needed to go back to Martha's Vineyard. And I remember I, I turned, I said, I turned to my wife. I said, I got to go back. I go, I didn't see the whole island. There's something else there. I have to go back there. She said, okay, let's go. And so in October, and this was late in the, so the summer was over. I looked for a Jaws tours on Martha's Vineyard because I wanted to go talk to someone that lived there and I stumbled upon Mike Currid of the Edgartown Tour Company. We lined up a tour. He picked us up at the hotel. I stayed in the hotel that the crew stayed in uh, right in Edgartown. So it was the same hotel. I, I, we were right there, right next to the ferry um, that takes everyone over the Chappaquiddick Ferry that's uh, in the scene with Martin Brody and the mayor. From there, we got the tour, and he took us all over. And it was on that tour, he was telling facts of the island, history of Martha's Vineyard, and it was all coming to me. There was, there was things come. There was a lot of thoughts coming to me. We were talking about Jaws, and we had a great time. We, found, we actually found Hooper's Rock. We found the actual rock that Hooper sits on because we were taking screen grabs, and we were matching up the, uh, the, the crevices and the uh, profile of the rock to find out which one, because there's a lot of rocks up on that hill. And we found the exact same one. And it was, it was just a great time. And right around that time that I had the, 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 the ultimate vision, the, the, the dream that I had was I was seeing a young Robert Shaw wake up with his, from the water, like he was sleeping with his face in water and he wakes up. That's all I saw. That right there was, that's got to be Quint on the last day in the water because he fell asleep and he's waking up and he's realizing he's still in the water. That was the first thought I had was, that's, that's the prequel to Jaws. It was on that trip where I came back I had all these thoughts in my head and I said, I said, I think I'm going to write a book. And that was in October of 2020. So that's why I consider that the start of the research phase, that June to October part. That was the start of a 14 month research phase where I read eight books on the Indianapolis. I read other books. I read all sorts of uh, nautical books in order to put myself into the mindset of what these gentlemen, what these survivors went through and their firsthand accounts of surviving that Indianapolis attack. But more so, 
what would Quint be doing and what exactly is this backstory to Quint that's sitting there? And it's just, it was forming. I did not start writing until October of 2021. In October of 2021, I bought a laptop and I said, in order to do this, I really have to just put it out there and be honest with everyone what I'm trying to do. I don't want people to think that I'm trying to make a, a quick buck. This isn't a cheap gimmick. I go, there's something more here and I can't verbalize it yet. I just know it's there. And in order to do this, I have to do a broadcast. I have to do a podcast about Jaws. I have to put it out there and I have to get the fans to support me and to support this project. I think there's something about the fans and what I saw at that drive-in, at the Wellfleet drive-in in Cape Cod in June of 2020. So I bought all this fancy gear for broadcasting and I have no, I know a broadcasting experience whatsoever. I was a big fan of podcasts. And so I kind of know how the format should be. I bought this little laptop and I said, okay, this is how I'm going to do the writing and where I'm going to start by doing this and that. And at the same time, as I start the writing in October of 2021, I go to sit down to write the first chapter and everybody who has been to jawsob.com, if you go to the book of Quint page, you can find links to that first chapter. That first chapter has been through 10 different revisions. That chapter was worked over many times. And what you're seeing up there is probably the 10th revision. There are small changes that were made as it, as it sits in the book now. But, um, but that first chapter was the first thing that just came out because I was seeing a younger Quint and I was seeing him with uh, the experiencing um, bumping into an old friend of mine Herbie Robinson, baseball player, Bozen's mate. So I was using clues in the movie Jaws, dialogue from the movie Jaws to kind of steer the steer the story. At that point, that's when I heard about Ian Shaw, son of Robert Shaw, was doing a stage play called The Shark is Broken. This was a stage play that he co-wrote, which details the behind the scenes of Richard Dreyfus, Roy Scheider, and Robert Shaw as they're waiting inside the orca for the shark to start working. What they, what they talk about and their thoughts on the movie and everything that's going on in their lives at the time. I heard about this and when I saw pictures of Mr. Ian Shaw dressed up as his dad, that was the face I was seeing. That was the, the visions. I, everything just became real. Hard to describe. I can't, it, 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 that it actually... It materialized at that moment. Now, Mr. Ian Shaw was doing that play, I think, in 2019 at the Edinburgh Festival. And then the COVID actually delayed it. It had its West End run in England at the end of 2021 and into the beginning of 2022, around there. That delay put that to where... I was hearing about it right when I started. So that's when it all became real. And at that point, with my research on Robert Shaw and how much I was living with Robert Shaw as Quint in my mind for the last 14 months before, before even writing, I knew that there was two important things that had to happen. If I was going to finish this book, number one, it was going to be dedicated to Robert Shaw and Mary Yur, who was Robert Shaw's wife at the time, their acting powerhouse couple. That was one of the first prerequisites about this book of Quint, that it had to be dedicated to them. Number two 
the second prerequisite, the second rule that I had in my mind, I said, Ian Shaw has to be the first one to get the book. I have to get him this book first before anyone else. And that was in uh, October of 2021. I was seeing a date of October 2022 as I was going to be done with the book in my mind. And I said, okay, we're just going to go with this. So I had this little laptop that I bought. I start writing and we get into the next the, the, the next year. Little things started happening where I knew that there was something special was going on, not just with the writing of the Book of Quint, but the byproducts of the writing of the Book of Quint. We started the Jaws obsession, and I ended up, through, the, through episode two, I ended up meeting John Tedder, who everyone that's listened to the Jaws obsession knows that John Tedder plays a great role as a technical advisor to not just this show, but to the writing of the Book of Quint. I mean, his information on the Orca and with Quint, him, with Quint the character was invaluable. This book would not have been what it is without John Tedder. So the Jaws timing was playing, it was still playing on this, where I didn't know I had to do a podcast. It was just there. I said, no, this, this whole, this thing will not work without the broadcast, without the Jaws obsession. And by doing that, that's how I was able to come across John Tedder. This whole experience, I have just been following what I'm feeling, trying to get this project to the finish line. And Ian Shaw was a huge part of that that he had to get the first book. I, I know why. It's just one of those things where I had that in my mind over a year ago. I don't have the time to, we're already really long here, and I don't have time to exactly go into everything about the writing of the Book of Quint. But there's one mini story, one little side story I want to tell you. And I was listening to recently to episode 13, which was Jaws Communication. And though that was a very crucial time in the writing in that I was writing and then the war in Ukraine started. That's when I had to put everything on pause and I had to go over to Eastern Europe with a friend of mine to get his mom out of Ukraine and get my mother-in-law out of Ukraine and bring them to America. And uh, that experience was, um, it was life-changing in a way because the intensity and I've never experienced anything like that with another country is invading this country and I have family that has to be, that, that's in harm's way. And um, the intensity of that situation, I put that laptop in my bag that I bought to write the Book of Quint. Now, I haven't had a laptop in years. I work on power lines for a living. I bought that laptop to write the Book of Quint. So I packed it and maybe that I, I would have time on an airplane that I would do some writing, but that never happens because... The situation was so intense over there on the border and then into Warsaw, Poland, and going back and forth. The embassy, it was just an intense situation with, uh, with crowds of refugees. There was, so there was no writing getting done. Uh, we ran into some serious roadblocks with trying to get a travel visa for my friend Sergei's mom. That laptop I used to communicate with our local congressional office back here in New York going back and forth with United States Customs and Immigration Services, with the embassy in Warsaw. Without that laptop, we never would have been able to get the visa, the necessary visas to travel to bring everybody back. And we actually, with, with my writing the constant letters and all the support back home and people writing to the congressman here, that we were actually able to 
get a visa, get the emergency meeting. It was a miracle. It was a miracle and a half that, that, it, that it worked out that way. And it was because of the writing of the book of Quint, the Jaws timing that I had the laptop at that time. Never would have been able to do that if I just went over there with a phone. And I came back and I recorded episode 13, Jaws Communication. So that was one of the first moments where I was realizing that I ran into a roadblock but look at what is happening, that the book came out better, the writing came out better. I was able to think about Quint and the radio smash and the communication of that and, and verbalize that in that episode as I came back to America. So I want to bring you now to, I'm going to fast forward all the way up to this last month. Ian Shaw finished the, his run of The Shark is Broken in London on the West End. And I was making multiple attempts starting around January of 2022. I was reaching out to contacts in England, as well as representatives of Mr. Shaw, trying to get a hold of him and introduce him to the project that I was working on. And it was always unsuccessful for whatever reasons that I was never able to establish contact with him. I just felt that he had to be the first one. It was a very intense feeling that he had to be the first one to get the book. So I kept writing. As everyone knows, it's followed along. We, we launched the Indiegogo campaign. So if we fast forward now to this last month in September, okay, I learned now that Ian Shaw is going to be bringing his play, The Shark is Broken, to Toronto, Canada, which is only four hours away. It just so happens that the border situations all clear up, that we're allowed to travel to Canada and, and, and vice versa. So it's, it's right there. So he's right up there. And I'm sitting there with this book that I finished in September, the writing of it, but now the editing has to start and all of this, uh, all of this intense work has to be the formatting and all that to try to get it there. And I know that we had the, uh, the campaign was winding down and I had this October 2022, October 22nd, 2022 date in my mind that the book was going to be finished right then and there. The book was going to be finished. I worked incessantly just pounding, pounding, pounding to get this material processed and to get the, uh, to uh, working with the formatter back and forth. And I was actually walking in to the printer's office on October 25th with this file and ready to print the book. And I explained to them that I really, I really wanted to, and I misread the schedule on The Shark is Broken, that I thought they were going to have a show until November 9th. Was there going to be their last show? So they go, wow, we're cutting it kind of close here. Uh, we're going to work really hard. So I even said, I stressed to them about how important it was that that he gets the first book and he's he's here and it's just this, it's this small window I went to get tickets for the show. I bought two tickets for The Shark is Broken because I wanted to see the play as well. Who wouldn't? If you're a Jaws fan, you got to see this play. So I bought two tickets for The Shark is Broken. And I realized that the last show was on November 6th, Sunday. That was the last show, the last performance. So I called up the printers and I said, we need, I go, is there any way you can, that, that I can't pick them up on Monday? Is there any way? They said, yes, we'll, we'll have the books ready on Friday. So I went in and I picked up the books. I was able to go pick up three books, three proof copies of the Book of Quint, hardcovers on Friday in New Jersey, got back into Syracuse. I recorded episode 44 
posted that, and then on Sunday morning left to Toronto with book number one of one of one, right? So I had three books. Number one, I put it in a small gift bag, and we drove to Toronto. We went and saw the play. If you guys ever want to hear it, let me know. Maybe I'll do my own review of The Shark is Broken. It was an unbelievable experience to see Mr. Ian Shaw on stage. He is his father. The play is layered. It has many layers. There's so many different avenues are talked about with Robert Shaw's, with the alcohol and the, um, the doubts about careers. So many layers going on. It was a remarkable experience to see that play. And while I'm up there, I'm working the staff of the theater and I'm saying, I have this book. I want to get this book to uh, Mr. Shaw. I get the message to the stage manager and they said, uh, Mr. Shaw will meet me behind the theater after the show. So I was able to present this book, the book of Quint, to Mr. Ian Shaw in Toronto, Canada on Sunday. And the experience of meeting him was very overwhelming. There were so many emotions going through my mind when Ian Shaw emerged from the door and I'm standing there with, uh, and I presented him with the Book of Quint. Seeing him was seeing the younger version of his dad that I was seeing for over two years. And there was a lot of emotions going through me. And I was able, I, I didn't have enough time where I really was trying, I wanted to reassure him that there was a lot more going into this that I could not explain at the time. But I described to him I that, there was two things that had to happen about the dedication to his mom and dad. And then that he had to be the first one to get the book for that moment to take place. I am extremely grateful that that was all because I feel that that is, I don't know why. I don't know why we, we did talk about a few things. I didn't have a time to tell him everything. I told him about the jaws obsession and um, I pointed him towards the podcast that we, I, I just didn't have enough time, but um, I know he was tired and there, he had a plane to catch. So the, uh, so I did not want to impose too much, uh, but I was extremely grateful that that moment was able to take place, and the Jaws timing of it all, the the setbacks, the hurdles, the uh, that I was experiencing while writing the book put me at the right place at the right time to be done with the book, to be able to see that into reality, that meeting that I had in my mind for over a year at the time. There was two people standing there, two other fans were standing there, um, a gentleman and a lady. And I thank them very much because I was shaking. I was nervous. I must have looked like a little seven-year-old. It was almost like meeting Robert Shaw. It was a nice, a nice cup, a nice moment. But they, but they insisted that we get a picture, and I never, I'm not like that. I never would have asked for a picture because I, uh, I get kind of, you know, it, I, I'm not like, I don't like to impose myself on. And but yet they were there to say we'll get a picture, right? And they were, and everybody was kind of smiling. So. Uh, I have a great photo of myself with Mr. Shaw and the Book of Quint that Tatiana took. And I'll put it up on the show notes to share it with all of you uh, over at our Telegram channel at Jaws OB. I knew that there was all this pressure just left me at that point. 
where I was able to say, I needed him to get the first book. I just needed the Shaw family to get book number one, to be able to first to read it. And um, to make that happen, for the universe to make that happen, that he had his play at that time and he had that at, done at that that last day was right there. That's more than just a coincidence. Those are signs that we are on the right direction here. That is the Jaws timing plane into effect. Shortly after that, the next day, I overnighted book number two to the law firm in Washington, D.C. that represents Benchley IP LLC. I have uh, submitted the final manuscript in book form showing the their, their uh, legal disclaimer that's on the inside page, and that is on file with them in Washington, D.C. Book number three, I had about four days to do a crash proofread of which I found 36 small changes and adjustments that needed to be made. Nothing too crazy, nothing egregious. I was able to make those changes, and then yesterday I was able to accept the final proof over at Lightning Press down in New Jersey, and they the run the limited run of the Book of Quint has now started. Let me leave you with one more final thought. Um, as I was doing the proofread, I was checking dates, because dates are a big thing with me. I wanted to get the dates right, because the dates... Like if you, you can, you can mess up some details, but don't mess up the dates. So I was trying to make sure all the dates were right. And, um, what I noticed was the last performance of the shark is broken in Toronto, Canada. And the meeting I had with Ian Shaw took place on November 6, 2022. That is 54 years to the date from November 6, 1968, when Captain Charles Butler McVeigh III died. Now, Captain McVeigh was the captain of the USS Indianapolis, uh, the ship that is uh, that went down, um, that is detailed in Quint's speech in Jaws. So Captain McVeigh is talked about in the Book of Quint. I sat back in my chair and I was speechless. That was not planned. There was no planning of that. That's just what happened. November 6, 2022, 54 years after the death of the captain of the USS Indianapolis. So thank you very much for allowing me to communicate this to you. This this has been going on uh, behind the scenes here. Um, there's other details, but maybe we can talk about more of that later. But um, I just really wanted to share with you um, this amazing moment that I had over the last weekend and it could not be possible without the support from the Jaws fans around the world who got behind the Book of Quint and made this all possible. I'm a, I was just extremely grateful at the opportunity to be able to present this, this book to him and the Shaw family and to express my gratitude on behalf of all the Jaws fans around the world about the remarkable contribution that his father made to all of our lives and how the Shaw family and their sacrifice uh, back in 1974, uh, because Robert Shaw was trapped on that production for a very long time, how that had a major play into making Jaws the greatest movie of all time. It was an honor and a privilege to present the Book of Quint to him and thank him and his family. Show me the way to go home. I'm tired Well, this was a long one. 
Thank you very much for sticking around and listening to that. Great emails coming in. Thank you for everyone that participated in the Brody Calendar Contest, as well as writing in. The Book of Quint is now being printed. The limited edition run is now at the printers, so it's very exciting. The movie Jaws is copyright property of Universal Studios. Any references and sampling from the movie Jaws in this episode is intended to fall within Section 107 of the Copyright Act. Copyrighted materials are fairly used, used for the purposes of criticism, comment, reporting, teaching, and research. The materials used here are protected by the Fair Use Guidelines of Section 107 of the Copyright Act, all rights reserved to the copyright owners. I appreciate everybody listening and lending your time this week for episode 45. What an episode. What a week. And we're just forging ahead here. So please email me here at JawsOB2025 at gmail.com. You can go to JawsOB.com for any other details. And we're going to have more information, more episodes to follow. And I'll be able to have more updates uh, closely about the exact time when we will be uh, fulfilling orders for the Book of Quint to the Indiegogo campaign backers. Thank you very much for listening. Until next week, farewell and adieu. Show me the way to go home.